everyone. Anthony Fantano here, Internet's busiest music nerd, and thank you for listening to another edition of the Needle Drop Podcast, our weekly review roundup podcast where we give you opinions of albums that have dropped throughout the week. This week, though, it's it's a bit of a shorter and more negative series of reviews. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't really care for a lot of records that I covered uh, this previous week, the new Comethacene mixtape, Maggie Rogers's Heard It in a Past Life, as well as the new Beirut record, Gallipoli. Uh, my thoughts on those records will be contained in this episode, of course, but also we're padding this episode out with a super special, intimate conversation and interview with a man who self-describes as the vaporwave David Bowie, uh, Mr. George Clanton, uh, whose record who's fantastic, a new record we covered last year. Uh, He's been having quite a bit of success on his brand new tour, and we talked with George about his uh, new music, Vaporwave, the creative process, uh, 90s culture and nostalgia, and a host of other things uh, that in a roundabout way inspire the the wonderful, pillowy, uh, orgasmic, and triumphant music that this man makes. So that's going to be it for this episode. So hunker down, get ready. Here we go. Anthony Fantano, the Needle Drop Podcast. Ba-bam. And it is time for a review of the new Comethacene mixtape, Bosky 2. Midwest rapper Comethacene, he is back with the follow-up, the sequel to his Bosky tape that dropped last year, which has brought him a passionate cult following who also seem pretty thrilled about this latest project here. However, I'm not really seeing what's so exciting about this tape. Listening to this thing, I'm pretty surprised that Comethacene is from Illinois and that this thing is new, because all this tape really sounds like is something a South Florida rapper would have recorded and uploaded to SoundCloud two years ago. Maybe there would be an argument for this tape being cutting edge or refreshing had it somehow come out before Smoke Perp's Dead Star in 2017, but it didn't. And as a result, the flows and the instrumentals on Bosky 2, even some of the vocal inflections that Comethacene brings to the table on this thing, are all pretty stale and blatantly unoriginal. And not only are so many of the sounds and the ideas on this project stale, but Comethacene does so little to put his own spin on any of it. I mean, sometimes his lyrics can get annoyingly edgy, where he's basically trying way too hard to sound threatening and aggressive without even trying to balance it out a little bit with some wit or humor or absurdity, or self-awareness. All that Comethacene really offers lyrically on this record is just unadulterated posturing, and and that's it. Sometimes his hooks can be kind of infectious and ridiculous, like a Benjamin, counter, Benjamin, counter, first name, Benjamin, last name, counter. But the songwriting on this thing generally is not really anything to brag about, because a lot of the songs kind of cut out before the two-minute mark even comes through, preventing many of these tracks from leaving a lasting impact. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing inherently bad about short songs. A lot of cool stuff can happen in one minute and 45 seconds. But Comethacene doesn't really provide anything all that sticky or interesting within that very short time frame. He would much rather get by with generic gangsterisms and just heaps of aggression over these somewhat left-field trap beats. And I will give it to this guy, he does have an ear for great production. I mean, his biggest hit so far, Walkin', is hugely indebted to the futuristic instrumental it's attached to. But it's not like the beats on this thing are so cutting edge that they actually become a selling point. They just give Comethacene's verses a somewhat weird backdrop and that's about it. This thing is 10 tracks, it's 17 minutes, vapid lyrics, uh, trendy flows, pretty much the 
same formula repeated for one track after another track after another track. There's really not a whole lot to pick over on this terribly uninteresting project. And it really left no impressions on me whatsoever outside of just feeling generally irked. And sure, while it's not the worst project I'm going to hear all year, it is utterly forgettable in the worst way imaginable. I'm feeling a decent too strong four on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Maggie Rogers record, Heard It in a Past Life. Singer, songwriter, and producer, Miss Maggie Rogers, she has a new full-length album out over here. She is coming in hot with a lot of promo. Despite only recently dropping a big commercial album with Capitol Records, Maggie's artistic trajectory has been heavily documented as if music audiences have been following her every move up until this point. You can go online and read endlessly about everything from what she used to listen to when she was younger to the Berklee Music Program that she won a, a songwriting award with, dropping a few albums independently and auditioning a song for Pharrell that literally brought him to tears. It's okay to cry, Anthony. I'm, I'm too sick for this right now. You're just ashamed of your emotions. And I hate to see it, it kills me. Then there's Maggie's label signing, her fledgling hit, her SNL appearance. It's been a very guided rise to prominence, which, you know what, is fine. I honestly wish today's music industry did more to invest in up-and-coming artists as opposed to ambulance chasing every single viral internet hit. And knowing that's the current state of things, I went into this record assuming that Maggie has something special and substantive, something that doesn't quite translate to the mimetic passageways that most music is promoted through today. Plus, this LP did get number two on the Billboard Top 200, even if it was released super early in the year and only moved a very modest 37,000 copies. I'm also pretty delighted to see talented names like Greg Kirsten in on the production of this record on some key tracks. But overall, the sound and the style and the aesthetic of this record, it's kind of a hodgepodge. It has the synthetic grooves of a synth-pop album, but also the relatability of like a folk or a singer-songwriter record. There's also a low-key sensuality to it, like a classic sophisti pop band like Prefab Sprout, to a, to a degree, to a very subtle degree. There are also some tracks on this thing that are pretty anthemic and grandiose, which feels like yet another nod to the 80s, especially on the closing track here. There's also a few points on this record where I can tell Maggie is pulling pretty directly from some heavy hitters out of the huge wave of female singer-songwriters that were banging the charts in the 90s. And finally, I think there's something about Maggie's sound that would really appeal to Haim fans. The super funky and poppy guitar and bass based sound coming out of some of the songs on this record, it, it really does feel like something off of a Haim album. I do like the very danceable and moody and sexy production surrounding a lot of these tracks. If anything, the beats and the instrumentals on this thing, they really are a huge selling point. Like the plucky bass line and nocturnal atmosphere and swaying groove of the knife. The song Overnight is similarly moonlit and sad and, I guess, uh, romantic. The track also exudes the kind of cinematic depression you can only afford to soak in if you have nothing else wrong going on in your life. The track Say It feels like a bit of a throwback to an old-school 90s R&B jam, but with some production updates, some bubbly arpeggios. Probably my favorite track on here, as it's attached to one of the best tunes on the record, too. But the instrumentation and the mixing across this entire record, it's not amazing. There are some points where it comes off very shoddy. Like on the opening track, Give a Little, which has a complete lack. It's totally devoid of, like, 
any appealing melodies. The lead vocal melody that Maggie is singing on the opening verse of this track, it's absolutely mind-bending as to why somebody would record this and save it. Like most of everything else on this track, it sounds totally thrown together and just on this song to pad out time around the chorus, which is actually pretty decent. There are also some tracks on here that are just drowning in this overly sentimental vibe, like Light On, which kind of runs like Bruce Springsteen at his worst Fused. with Avicii's Wake Me Up. There's also a total loss of personality at some points on this thing, like on the uh, piano ballad from this record, Past Life, which in some moments sounds like a really off Jewel or Regina Spector impression. Plus, this song is one of a few moments on this LP where Maggie just seems too over come with emotion to worry about whether or not she's straining vocally or articulating the words she's actually saying. It just feels very performative, which I understand all music is to some degree, but I feel like the key to a great performance is to trick the audience into thinking that what you're doing there in front of the lenses and the lights, it's all natural. I can't say Maggie has gotten over that hump though. But even when Maggie is at her best vocally on this album, her singing is still pretty average. I could not honestly pick her voice out of a lineup if you made me. There are also a few eyebrow-raising instrumentals on this LP that I just can't really get my head around, like the song On Off, which features this really heavy sub bass and skipping pianos and weird sound effects. It sounds like what you would do if you tried to remix a bunch of pieces from an old 10 Tricks Point Never track into a pop tune, but the results were not satisfying at all. And then we have the super chunky beats and sad piano chords on the cut falling water, which basically feels like what would happen if you gave a generic Macklemore guest singer the opportunity to just do a full song by themselves. My ears throughout this track were stinging with anticipation for the moment Macklemore was going to pop in and start whisper rapping about like white privilege or his ice cream hitting the ground. Then there's also the super overdriven and distorted beat on the cut Burning, which literally does sound like Burning. There are some quite horrid points on this instrumental that I can't believe nobody attached to this record heard this and thought, you know, this, this is like an opportunity for a redo. I mean, the production being this much of a mess is not the case for every song on this record, but it happens enough times to ruin the overall experience pretty heavily. Plus, this record is also pretty short on memorable songwriting, personality coming out of the vocals. Past Life does have its bright spots, but they're mostly predicated on the instrumental being really danceable and lush, like on the cut retrograde. Meanwhile, more low-key cuts on this thing, like Alaska, are so faint it's like the song thrives off of this really vague quirk that doesn't really get appealing until the hook. But I think I'm gonna leave it at that. I dislike this record quite a bit. Uh, way more misses than hits on this thing. Definitely. There are points on this thing that are super average, super uninteresting, risks that don't really pay off. But above all else, despite the gargantuan sense of drama being injected into multiple tracks here, it's just boring. I'm feeling a strong three to a light four on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the brand new Beirut record, Gallipoli. This is the fifth full-length album from Zach Condon's own Beirut, a band that originated in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and shook the indie scene well over a decade ago at this point with their novel fusion of indie pop and folk with the sounds of Balkan folk and some brass from the Eastern Bloc. Generally, their sound is pretty charming, it's pretty cute, and has led to a few very good albums like their debut LP, Gulag Orchestra, as well as their follow-up, The Flying Club Cup, which I still have my CD copy of 
to this day because it's, it's so fun. However, over the years I have kind of grown less enamored with Beirut sound, mostly because their output has just gotten blander and blander. On their next full-length LP, The Riptide, those Balkan folk elements really started to diminish in favor of faux whimsical indie pop and folk, which has always been at the core of the band's songwriting to some degree, but without that Balkan spice to kind of bulk the band's tunes up, their shtick deflates pretty quickly. The band's next record, 2015's No No No, was even less satisfying in my opinion. I feel like this record was preemptively named after the reaction I had to it, as it was just a monstrously average release. And despite Zach and his band attempting to get more ambitious on the instrumental side of things, with this new LP, it's not really much better. All because the horns and string sections that you usually hear on a Beirut record are just coming off very uninspired this time around. And of course, Zach is weaving in and out of these instrumental arrangements with his usual croon, with a very romantic affectation on it, but I feel like he's just barely meeting the standard that he set for himself on past records, though, as there's not really a whole lot in terms of emotional conviction to be had on this LP. At least I could say his vocal performances on early Beirut records felt a lot less on autopilot. And even when his singing wasn't the best, what made up for it were these fantastically anthemic and explosive horn sections and arrangements. And again, those horns and those strings, they are here on this record, but it's like their only purpose is to just provide some thickness and volume to give the illusion of compelling progression across the length of these tracks. Very rarely are any of the horn bits or string bits on this thing even slightly memorable. The lackluster instrumentation on this thing is most apparent when we get into the instrumental cuts on this record, which, I mean, if you were going to forego vocals entirely, you would think that's where the compositions would shine. But instead we get cuts like On Mano Island, which feature these sunburnt, bright, kind of fuzzy synth leads that plod along at an excruciating pace. Or the song Corfu, which is named after a Greek island, but the vibe of the track sounds more like a ham-fisted attempt at a kind of left-field piece of bossa nova or something, with some horror movie strings at the very end. Meanwhile, the song Varieties in Exile feels like Beirut trying to recapture their former glory with their usual rollout of some sad little acoustic chords, Zach starts crooning, and then the instrumentation and everything subtly builds up until you get to the point where you hit the drums and the horns, and it's kind of climactic. As formulaic as it is, it's actually one of the better tracks on here. Believe it or not, though, Zach does work in some sonic surprises on this record that I don't think fans would have anticipated, like on the track I. Giardini, which compositionally is one of the more tedious tunes on here, but sonically, the way the instrumentation bleeds into itself as the track progresses, it's a little psychedelic maybe even slightly shoegazy, the first time I think I've ever heard a Beirut song that evoked that feeling. And the song Landslide, which did irk me at first because I couldn't quite place what exactly it sounded like, but the plucky guitar leads along with the sunshine chords that incessantly play throughout much of the track, plus the vocal harmonies in the background, it feels like he's lifted most of what he's doing here right out of the Pet Sounds playbook, but he's trying to apply his usual romantic, croony vocal and songwriting style to it, and it's not quite working because the track doesn't progress all that much across its length. It's like it's stuck in a perpetual intro state. And these are just two songs of quite a few on this record, 
that do bring some decent ideas to the table, but any hope of enjoying them long term is totally mired in how redundant the instrumentation is, how stagnant the progressions are, how bland the compositions and the vocal melodies are. Literally, some of Zach's most tedious and boring and uninspired vocal melodies turn up on this LP. And I'm just not really sure what to say about it. I mean, there are some moments that I think are kind of okay, a few tracks that are somewhat likable, but for the most part, this is a really tiresome album. And Beirut at a point where I'm, I'm just like, I, I'm shocked that this was the same band that I enjoyed like a little over a decade ago. Because this is just so lacking in the romance and the thrill and the sensuality and the wonder that made Beirut so fantastic to begin with. It's just gone. Even what few moments there are on this thing that kind of hearken to a foreign sound or influence, it feels like just really bad tourism. A little tacky, unfortunately, which I, I've never quite felt that way about Beirut stuff. Even though Zach was filtering these sounds into an indie pop and an indie folk style, he very much struck me as a musician who, you know, really cared about the craft, cared about the style, cared about the sound, did his homework like a Jeremy Barnes and a Hawk and a Hacksaw, but that just does not feel like it's the case on this new LP. I'm feeling a decent to strong four on this thing. And we are here at Max 650, a wonderful little performance art space and a gallery space in my home state of Connecticut. We will put information to the space down there in the description box. They have been generous enough with their time and their area to allow me to come down and do an interview with the one and only Mr. George Clanton. How are you doing, man? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making the time to come down. I know you're in the middle of a tour right now, and you're just kind of passing through a little bit. I'm in, I'm in between two tours now, so the first one just ended, thematically speaking. It's, thematically speaking? That's right. So the next tour is different than this one? Is yeah. it a, in a different body of, of land? Yeah, so the next one is on the West Coast, and I'm touring with TV Girl. This one was a, um, the one that I just wrapped, was yeah. the 100% Electronica label uh, tour, which okay. is my label that I made up. All right. So, uh, I know for a lot of people, uh, my my coverage of your last record was kind of like their first introduction to what you were doing. Yes. And um, much of their knowledge of what you do and your sound and your style is is pretty much that and onward. Um, right. But however, I know that your origin story goes further back than that, not only playing with styles of music that are sort of outside the pop and shoegaze realm that, uh, you know, you've been kind of functioning in currently, but, you know, also with um, functioning in different music scenes and starting your own label and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like you're kind of a self-starter kind of guy. That's right. Um, Bit of a DIY ethic in you. Right. It's, uh, I, I just watched um, a, a live stream that you were doing with someone on Instagram just the other day where you were like, Oh, uh, you know, DIY is great, but don't like boast about it. But basically that's all that I do is boast mm. about my DIY <laughs> ethic. Go, go boast away. Yeah. Well, boast it. You know, it's like, uh, born out of necessity. You know, I've, I've spent all the time sending my record to places and they didn't mm -hmm. really want it. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I just, my friend said to make, you know, make your own label. I thought 100% Electronica was like, a funny kind of meaningless, like no one really knows what electronica yeah. means. And I thought that that was kind of funny. So um, I called my album that and the label. It's been, you know. Which is a bit confusing. It is. It's for, any, for anybody going then, back. Yes. <laughs> but it makes it like, um, 
twice as easy to sell T-shirts, which is nice. And because um, you're selling a T-shirt for the label and the album, right? And and like myself and yourself, yeah. So that is a you know it's a pop off-screen really popular product. Um, so that's something that you would you would recommend to anybody sort of making their own content. Make sure you use the same name and apply <laughs> it as to many different things as possible. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I would recommend that, but you know, it, it did work out for me, you know, okay. uh, it, it just, um, it's a case by case basis. It's thing. a case by yeah. case if basis. If it works for you, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. I think it's because, you know, I'm kind of like the, um, a good face for the label, at least for the fan base that it's found. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of all understand, you know, that it's, uh, that kind of thing. And, and what exactly up until this point have you found to be the, the fan base for the 100% Electronica label? Because okay. It's, it does seem, you know, with, with your new record and prior, uh, I, I admit that I'm intrigued by it, but I'm not exactly an expert in sort of this weird internet scene that has formed around things like your label, like mm-hmm. Vaporwave. Right. Like it's, it's almost like it's, it's obviously electronic music. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to be connected to the traditional streams through which most electronic is assumed to be. You know, the rave scene and the club scene and what's gone on in the UK for decades and decades and decades. Right. And what you're doing seems totally, and what most people are doing in Vaporwave and online seems just completely separate from that. I, I agree. Um, you know, and uh, uh, we were you were kind of leading me a, a little bit earlier to kind of talk about, you know, what happened before and all of this. Yeah. So I have a, a vapor wave history. Yeah. And very early, like in, you know, maybe not like the very beginning, but, um, you know, as far as people who are still active, it's hard to find someone, you know, who was around at that time. Mm-hmm. So like everyone who's into vapor wave, you know, they'll, I'm on the short list of, people to know right so i <laughs> have exclusive like top five right you know but the, the, the thing is, is that VIP. you know everybody kind of makes fun of that scene or whatever yeah. but it's it's massive and it's a, it's a completely like untapped market commercially outside of the two or three uh diy labels well what, what i i mean again not an expert in it I mean, I know some of the records or I know a great deal of the records that have gotten the most play out of there, have gotten the most critical acclaim. And I do know that, you know, like what you're saying, as far as being commercially untapped, that is very much the case. And the labels that do cater to that scene, I mean, they drop these short run cassettes and hundreds of them, they sell them out in minutes. You right. Know? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it you know, is. How, how underappreciated it is. Well, it's a music culture. Like, yep, I'm sorry. It, is, it is a music culture and it's very organic, which is why I'm just sort of like flabbergasted as to you know, why it sort of seems like this old guard of electronic music just doesn't really seem to take it all that seriously. Well, the, uh, and, and I, the people and I, and can I, be toxic, you know. They're, you, the, think, you think it's the toxicity? Oh, well, in part, yeah. I mean, like, it's hard do, to... Do you, do you think, though, the vaporwave scene's toxicity is unique, though, to toxicity that you might find in the hip-hop scene or the rock scene? Or Well, that's something that I don't know a lot about. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, rock scenes and hip-hop scenes can be pretty toxic as well. Sure. As far as hatred or misogyny or violence or, you know... I guess that's true, you know, if you go on, like... And I don't know, you know, a whole lot about it, so it's just kind of like I can't name a more interesting artist and, and with my experience, but, you know, you go on... And and you look at like Nicki, you can just scroll through Nicki Minaj's Instagram and everything that's being said. It's just a bunch of garbage. You know? Sure. It's just hateful or talking about, 
I don't know, something very distasteful. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, um, good point. Um, I don't know why that's never been brought to my attention as a counterpoint to me talking about vaporwave being toxic. Um, maybe because I just only talk about it to people who only know vaporwave. Well, maybe it's a case of just, I, I think the inception point of the genre, for, or not the inception, but the introductory point of the genre for a lot of people is just kind of the... The, the memes surrounding floral shop and that sort of thing. And, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of people sort of saw that, took that in, and were just like, this is what Vaporwave is. This is all the Vaporwave's ever going to be, and it can't really evolve into anything interesting beyond this. So now I'm just going to write it off as just like a silly meme genre. Well, also in a lot of ways it hasn't. So, no, it, well, absolutely. You know, um, And I think that that's like the second point. I, I would actually it, say in most ways it has not sort of actually, that has not actually borne out. Right. So... Um, it's a very easy, like, okay, so if you want to be a rock band, there's um, there's a lot more, you know, can we see this on camera? You know, there's, <laughs> like, there, you have to, like, learn how to play instruments, and you have to, like, buy a guitar amp or a drum set. You have to have all these people together, mm -hmm. and you know where I'm going with this. With Vaporwave, you drag your song into Audacity and uh, our music software and slow it down. That's the entry point. Like, that could be, technically, I mean, that could be a song. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. and, and you could put a picture over it that embodies the way that that sounds in a way that somebody finds um, appealing. And then there's your song. So you could be a vaporwave artist just like that. Sure. So obviously, most of the people who are into it are also making it. Yeah. Which is like, um, makes a which, lot which of is, bad music, I think. It, it does, but it's also something that you can't necessarily say about every other genre, you know, that a great deal of its audience are also participating sure. in the craft as well. Right. I think probably the performance to consumption gap in in a genre like hip-hop is probably smaller than it's ever been just because of its popularity at the moment, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, it, it is very much the case, and I do understand it to be so that a vast majority of people consuming Vaporwave are also making it too. And um, I think, uh, you know, to sort of go back to your point about the rock band, though, you know, when you are a rock band, the impressions left on rock fans by every other rock, by every other rock band prior to you is painting your consumption of that group and your perception of that group. You know, be, be that they're talented or untalented. Whereas something that people perceive as being totally brand new and wild and different is vaporwave, first impressions are everything because you have no other vaporwave to base yeah. your right. assumptions of it on. So if, yes. you're, if your introduction to it is floral shop or some random meme that you saw... Which somebody, was my introduction to it. Yeah, yeah. Or some random meme that you saw somebody making about vaporwave online, mm -hmm. then you're just like, okay, well, that's not something I'm supposed to take seriously. That's, oh, you know, mm -hmm. that's just a meme. Yes. You know? Like a Simpsons image or something. Sure. Right. So it's like, you know, that could have a lot to do with just the unwillingness for some people to take it seriously. You know, let me ask you as somebody who's sort of taken the, um, the genre so seriously and participated in it. Um, Two-part question. To you, is, is there any sort of like, is, is there legitimacy to the claim that there is something kind of inherently mimetic or ironic about the creation of it? Like, is, is there sort of an inherent humor to it in a way? Or can you just sort of like totally seriously make, you know, Vaporwave with no irony to it whatsoever? And well, first, we'll just go off of that question. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, because I feel like even though I, I have kind of a... Um, 
a funny, maybe a bit of an internet uh, persona. You know, I'm, I don't take myself as a person very seriously, but I do take my music very seriously. Yeah. Um, and very personally. And so, um, yeah, I mean, if, if what I'm making actually is vaporwave, um, which sometimes I say it is, and sometimes I say it isn't just depending on how it's serving me at that moment, you know? Um, but I think, you know, you, you look at what vaporwave is and it's like, everybody's kind of redefining what it is every month or so, uh, or with each new, you know, popular release. Mm. So I think, um, you know, I lost track of the original question. Oh, can it be taken seriously? Yeah. yeah. Or can, can it be created seriously without any irony or anything like that? The irony that most people on the outside of it assume that just comes with the territory. Yeah, I think the short answer to that is of course. Yeah. I mean, to me, yeah, mm-hmm. of course it could okay. be. Yeah. And then is there any validity in your opinion to, because when Vaporwave was first starting to break on the internet and it became like this big topic of discussion, obviously there was this kind of prevailing opinion that I think ended up winning out in the end that it's just a meme or it's silly or it's not you know supposed to be taken that seriously. But then there was also kind of this converse opinion that, no, wait a second, this is like this has some kind of deep philosophical roots in like <laughs> communism, anti-capitalists, uh-huh. so on and so forth. And, you know, if, if that's where your political leanings lie, that's where your political leanings lie. But, you know, do you feel like there's anything kind of inherently political about uh, about the creation of, of Vaporwave as an art form? Okay, so no. So yeah. I'm kind of, I mean, I think I'm sure that there are people doing that. And Who do feel that way, of course. Yes. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, their music typically sucks and... <laughs> It's just like approaching it the wrong way. I mean, to me, I'm just, I'm kind of like, I'm making music and I'm trying to, when I'm making music, when I'm sitting down and I'm making music and, um, you know, when you're, when we're talking about Vaporwave specifically, I'm thinking about kind of my other persona right now, not yeah. the George Clanton, the, the George Clanton. project. So I'm thinking about that when I'm answering this specific Vaporwave questions. Yeah. I'm sitting down and I, I'm just, I don't really have an idea at all. I'm just kind of pressing buttons on the keyboard, you know, and um, waiting for something to sound like extremely, like a, to give me a rush of nostalgia, you know, that black tar heroin rush of nostalgia. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, when I hit it, I record it and then I, you know, and then I go to the next thing. And that's all I think about. I'm not thinking about what does this mean or how is somebody going to perceive this other than does this give me, you know, does this tick the check boxes for what makes me feel warm inside? Mm-hmm. And then that's what I do. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, like floral shop, I don't think that floral shop, I don't think that Ramona, the, you know, I don't think that Vectroid, whatever, you know, who was making it, I don't think that they were thinking about, um, that she was thinking about, um, you know, anything political. I could be wrong about that, but it's just, it's not something that you, that, that is widely known or that you read about. Um, you know, and I think uh, I'm pretty sure that she just kind of rejects that album. Well, gosh, I hate that. I just said that on camera. I actually don't know. I know that she wasn't into it a while back and then they've, they've pressed a lot of records. I don't keep up with a lot of, I don't keep up with it a lot. I'm more (laughs) of like, um, interested in the uh, in output more than I am a consumer mm-hmm. if you ask me any questions about what music I was into you would find that I would start stuttering immediately and looking around the room and trying to come up with something 
to talk about that wasn't like really embarrassing and off brand. Well, well I, I, whatever uh, the feelings that uh, uh, she has that uh, that that maybe harbored about that record. I mean, artists are allowed to feel a myriad of different ways. About sure, the and that they've made. I can't put myself in her shoes. The way that that album, like had that kind of response you know yeah, when exactly. you're talking about if you're talking about like the number one well, as as meme, an artist your an, an audience's response to a record can definitely paint your perception of the album yeah and i um i definitely hate it when i'm not being taken seriously hmm. or um anyone like well that's not true but you know when people are talking about me and in the way that i'm sure that she gets spoken about all the time on 4chan, you know, the ruthless masses that you seem to take so gracefully. Um, you know, it can get under my skin, I understand. Reading, you know, I'll, I'll speak from personal experience that um, over the years, <laughs> exposure to it in the way that I've had hasn't always been like the healthiest thing. Reading the same crazy made up shit about you over and over and over and over does like have a warping effect about your own perception of yourself. And you have to like try to do your best to separate yourself from it and also surround yourself yeah, with people. Yeah, there's nothing who, you can do. I'm sure there's nothing you could do to stop it. Absolutely. There's nothing yeah. that you can do to stop it. And, and there, when and you try to stop it, just talking about it right now is opening up the floodgates. Sure, in a way. But, yeah. you, you know, I, th I think it's, you know, he here's the thing. It's, it's not actually too different from like, um, you know, let's just open the floodgates on another topic. It's not really all that different from like incel culture. You know, if you read the things that incels say about men and say about women and say about themselves over and over and over and you don't expose yourself to any other ideas or you don't expose yourself to mm -hmm. reality, pretty soon that becomes your reality. Right. You know what I mean? And if all you're reading day in and day out is crazy shit people are saying about you, I don't think some of them anticipate exactly how it can fuck with your head if you're exposed to it over and over and over. It's really that repeated exposure. I think if one person, and this depends on who you are, but I think if one person just sort of like says the nastiest thing about you that kind of gets into your craw a little bit, I, I think that's one thing. But to have hundreds of people, even if those people are maybe like a very loud minority, but to still have hundreds or even thousands of people repeating that same stuff, you know, over and over about you or to you, um, I think most of the people participating in it don't exactly anticipate the effect of sort of that dog pile thing. It can definitely fuck with you. You know, you've got to... Um if we're talking in terms of better or worse, you've got it a lot worse than I have. You know, <laughs> you're talking hundreds and thousands. Like, if it's just one person who says something to me, um, you know, I will, uh, and anyone who's uh, been in the van with me can attest. Like, I will just keep going on. Like, some someone in um, Philadelphia told me, like, just not even on the internet, not saying, um, uh, hack your hairline, you bald fuck, or something like after you. <laughs> After you retweet, like, okay, so I've been talking about that nonstop. It's just like, hack your hairline, you bald fuck. Why? So, so if they're not trying to ruin my day, what are they trying to, uh, you know, I, I don't understand. And it's I, like, I, I you know, that, that doesn't really bother me so much. It's not like I'm worried about my um, bald fuck hairline, you know. I, I'm, I'm more, um, uh, it's just like, why is somebody trying to, like, like if I'm trying to engage with people and like just have a 
productive day. Like, why do I have to go over all these fucking train wrecks just to get to the good stuff? And it, it gets in the way of the people, you know, all the people who are DMing me about, you know, um, bullshit. It gets in the way of me being able to contact with somebody who's needs me or, you know, whatever it is. Like, um, and it frustrates me so much that it's just the the more you get exposed, the 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 worse, the harder it is to navigate. You know, I, I think that um, <laughs> to go even further off the topic of music, which we will get back to, I swear. But I I, th- I think this is definitely I'm better something. at the, like I know more about <laughs> this. I think. Well, I, I do think this is an important topic that impacts everybody. So, I think. Um, uh, obviously that person is probably trying to like, you know, get, get under your skin and bother you. However, you know, all the people that say those sorts of things, they're not, they're not conscious. They're, they're not working in tandem with each other. You know, they're obviously like sort mm. of like small examples of that where they might get together on like a forum or a 4chan board and like, Hey, let's go fucking, you know, post shitty things about this person here and there. But the I'm thing sure is, they just see that you repost it. And then they go and they they look at maybe they see too many nice things and they go, no, fuck this guy. I don't like the way you know. I. But it's it's not even sort of the nice things. I think that uh, I think that what we don't necessarily acknowledge is that there are a lot of people in this country that I kind of function by the philosophy that hurt people hurt people. I mean, it's, it sounds like kind of lame. And I know stupid, that that's true. Yeah, but it's absolutely. it's absolutely true. Yeah, and I think that there are a lot of people without necessarily acknowledging it in America right now who are hurting socially, they're hurting economically, or they're so sheltered from all of those things because of some lifestyle that they've been brought up in that they have no reason to feel empathy for anybody else. And I think that contributes to a lot of shittiness that you see on the internet. All of that combined with a recipe where basically saying whatever you want to somebody, having little to no repercussions outside of Maybe you were dumb enough to use your actual name and picture while you were saying something like super, yeah. super racist oh, on Twitter right. and then you mm-hmm. got fired from your job yeah. or your Twitter account got banned or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like that's probably the worst of the repercussions that you're going to see, you know. And, and the thing is, because of that, people just kind of feel free to, you know, say whatever and do whatever they want, especially when you're younger and you feel like you're yes. in a position where all of your friends are kind of just acting the same way online or you just kind of feel invincible because you don't understand how much the internet could like fuck up your shit yeah, or you've never felt like pain before so you can't understand <laughs> well i think that comes with the sheltered thing yeah you know so it's like you have no reason to be sort of empathetic so and and i think that at the end of the day especially for somebody uh who's in the position that you're in uh, people are inherently like so deeply jealous of of artists and musicians who are sort of like making anything out of themselves because not because of what you're actually doing, but I think most people just go on to assume and, and anybody who's been a musician or has been around musicians knows that it's not the case that basically because you're an artist and because you're seeing some success with it and because it's something you do consistently, you're just in, I don't know what, like having strippers twerk on you on a yacht and you're just like swimming in cash and you're just like having the most fucking fun of your entire life every second of the day you're just like it's just like fucking just orgasm after fucking orgasm right. from day from dawn until yeah. until dusk and it's just like so not the case i am like on tour i am famous for um the one who has no fun mm. like there's just no time for it it's just like i, I tell to off screen aaron like Aaron, you know that I'm not, you know that I am not trying to have fun right now. 
because you know somebody's got a. a Are we having fun right now, though? Oh yeah, this is uh, no show Most tonight. Fun you've had all day. I have fun on. I have fun when the, you know, when the cameras are rolling, when the yeah. when the music starts. But leading up to it, uh, and afterwards, but leading up to it, like it's um, you know, the DIY vibe. You know, it's a lot. The it's, discipline. It's so much more work than um, people think. And well, when you're doing it on your own, that's what it is. I, I think what most people don't really appreciate, unless you had a handler and a yeah. team and a manager and a bunch of people who are basically paid gobs of cash to do everything for you, it's so like much. it's it's literally just work. Yeah, you're just working. It's the hardest job I've ever. I mean, it's the most rewarding job. Yeah, um, spiritually yeah. and financially that I've ever had. But it's also. Harder, You've got to work for everything. I think harder than than maybe most people are willing to work. Mm. You know, well, that's what starting your own thing is. Yeah, any kind of you know self starting thing is is going to be a lot of effort. Right. So to you know get back to kind of the musical element of things when you were uh, kind of opining uh, over your introductory and your creation of a, a vaporwave, um, <laughs> you you kind of dipped into what I think is kind of an, an essential. Uh, ingredient uh, to that genre of music, and also I think the music that you're making now, because I, I don't know how much of it you consider to actually be vaporwave as opposed to something that kind of takes off of it. Uh, you kind of put a smile on your face when you were talking about nostalgia. Um, how essential to the recipe do you think nostalgia is? And I mean, I think there are lots of different kinds of forms of nostalgia. What type of nostalgia are you trying to attain? What era? or sound, or idea, or experiences that nostalgia attached to. Right. My childhood. So, Which was during what time period? Um, the early, mid-90s. Okay. Uh, well, into the late 90s as well. Okay. Um, and well, we'd be talking I mean, about just like adolescence. I'm 31 years old. Yeah. So, um, so we're talking about like adolescence, early, like, very, twe- like tweenhood? Not specifically. Yeah. So anything that just kind of takes me back to... Um, yeah, okay. Maybe um you know, I don't want to be psychologically like torn apart here by someone uh internet uh armchair psychologist on a YouTube comment. Well, that that's that's uh, that's it's going to it's, happen. It's going to happen. And um, it's, it's all right. You it's know, okay. I I guess like, you know, it was just when when times were simpler before um yeah, before I don't want to say puberty because I just don't like that word. Is that the same? Yeah. Can I use adolescence instead? Mm-hmm. Okay. Does it mean the same thing? It's around, It's about in the same range. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just, you know, like when I would like, um, you know, listen to the radio and MTV was still like playing music. Playing and music. It was just a really, um, it just seemed like music was more fun then than it is now. Music's maybe more serious or um, I'm just older. I th- I think honestly the whole perception that you've been talking about just comes with age. Yeah. The whole I mean not only with music being fun or less fun. Yeah. But also absolutely. The per- but I, also I'm the aware perception. Also the perception that times were simpler. Yeah. Times were simpler because <laughs> I was you, a kid. you were a child. Yeah. Everything. No. But but that's why I'm not saying that that the 90s were better. I'm saying yeah. that childhood. Yeah. Was it, better it, because when, it was so when things simple. when Going things were pool. simpler for you, it just happened during that time period. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that also just happens to be an era in which I think I, I think a lot of probably because they're in a similar age range a lot of vaporwave producers are 
are sort of like uh, nostalgic for. You know, I think I'm a bit older. Yeah. You know, than, than the typical. Yeah, I, I guess some of the vaporwave aesthetics take off more from like late '90s, early computer culture and but 2000s also, computer culture. When it was new, yeah, the people who were making it then. So the the, the the originators are about my age. Yeah. Right. And then so the new people are kind of taking in after that. And then I think, you know, a lot of people say it's it's vaporwave is, is longing for like a past that never existed. Speaking from somebody who's in a similar age range, I think I can kind of talk to maybe this misguided perception that vaporwave is kind of missing a past that never existed. Because if you lived during that point in time, yeah, like if the visuals that come along with Vaporwave, the images you see on the covers, the, the types of sounds, the, the life and the society that it evokes. Yeah, it, it never did exist. Right. However, back in the 90s, with kind of this new dawn of widely commercially available technology and computers and the internet, the sound that the genre is making and the imagery that the genre delivers is not a past that existed, but almost like a future that we were promised was coming, the time. was coming around the corner. Yeah. Because at the time, the visuals that you're seeing out of these records, which at this point I think are a little more dystopian because it's almost like, you know, a reaction to the fact that things didn't turn out that way. Uh-huh. It's, it's like this was literally what we were told how things were going to be, you know, as kids. Like, you know, everything's going to be out, yeah. run by computers and everything's going to be super clean. And it's just basically going to be like, you know, that utopian like Demolition Man, you know, kind of future. Um, you know, Wesley Snipes movie, if you uh, old Wesley Snipes movie with a how, with a and Stallone in it, if you if you haven't seen it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be this like technologically driven utopia where everything's like super clean and like convenient and everybody's needs are like essentially taken care of because the computers are just going to like make everything super easy and that's obviously like not you thought a a lot about this i actually haven't i'm just like Uh, (laughs) coming up with this on the fly and well i'm actually more reacting to what you're saying because i feel like yeah i've had some of these ideas already but i feel like hearing some of it confirmed by someone who's obviously Uh. making the music has made the music and has also kind of like lived through that same era. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm just now, you know how, if you go through a trauma, you kind of need another person who's also Uh. a victim of that trauma to sort of like, Oh yeah, that was traumatic. I've been kind of bottling it up or sort of ignoring it or just sort of like all victims of vaporwave. (laughs) I've just been sort of bottling it up and acting like it, it wasn't a big deal when in fact, like maybe this whole time it has been a big deal, you know, because I think, I think, um, yeah, it, it it actually wasn't until literally right now that it, it dawned on me that like yeah that was like something that when we were kids we were told. How I think things, about that a lot. How things were going to turn out. Have you seen the movie Hackers with Angelina Jolie? Oh wait, I I might have. Yeah, well it was in that was like a two thousands flick, right? It was in ninety five. Ninety five. Okay. So um, I can they, just imagine what a hacking movie in ninety five <laughs> would be like. Right. So it's like all these visions of the you know the computers are like the way that they show that you're going through a computer is like a 3D like movement yeah. in a ship, <laughs> basically. Like, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, they're like, I'm in. And like all of these like 3D graphics are happening. and <laughs> All these polygons are flying. Yeah, or they'll, they, they're they at the um, Grand Central Station or something and they're, they plug into, uh, they somehow they, uh, they hook their laptops into the pay phones and they're hacking from the pay phones. As you would do in the 90s. Right. And, well, that was like that 
that's cool. You know, like that <laughs> is what I want to happen. And, and um, there was a, a webcam like TV show that they would watch that these like hackers would do. And, you know, that wasn't really possible back then. And then by the time we got to where you could make webcam shows and stuff, it's like, well, we're on YouTube. It's kind of like, it just seemed like less stylized and, um, you know, because it's so um, democratic where you have everything. So you can't like have, there's no like specific feeling to YouTube. Each channel is different, you know? Yeah. It's just a medium. So like I just... I really take into that. I guess since you haven't seen it, I, I I don't know why I'm talking about it so much, but I really like, I think it's a terrible movie, but I really love it because I guess the way it makes me feel. Prodigy, yeah. Pro, Prodigy has like four songs on that soundtrack. Oh, really? I'm, yeah, wow. it's just like four songs from one artist on the same soundtrack. It's really it's, good. It sounds like it was almost like, the, the way that you're describing it, it sounds like it might also be like a proto-Matrix kind of thing. Yes, I feel the same way about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because Matrix, I mean, I it obviously that is a huge film that a lot of people still look back on, but a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate how many other films that come out around that time that were sort of like playing with similar ideas of sort of like mm. hacking into some kind of technological mainframe and sort of like you <laughs> the know, mainframe, right? virtual reality versus real reality and so on and so forth. There were a lot of films sort of playing with those ideas. Lawnmower Man, I think, mm-hmm. was like another mm-hmm. one that was like somewhat popular at the time that toyed with similar sort of like sci-fi virtual reality, ones and zeros, <laughs> technology dystopia, sure. that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, it's, it's it, and I think to people who are a, a bit younger and don't remember that era at all of media, of science fiction, of sort of this dawn of technology and all they remember is just sort of like, you know, being in a time where the internet was more convenient and you didn't need to wait a half an hour to download a song or something, you know, um, all of the, overnight, know, overnight, twenty eight a, um, you know that uh, uh, th- th- those ideas are just sort of like you know that 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 never hit them. So it's like you know in a way, vaporwave might seem kind of like silly or based off of nothing, you know, or just like again nostalgia for an, ever a time that didn't exist, um, but but. To get off sort of the vapor, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's because they're like too young to remember the '90s that they think that vaporwave is silly. I mean, I think it's it's probably you have a more uh, uh, you're more likely to not think that it's silly if you're younger. You know, mm-hmm. it's definitely like a young. Oh, you think so? Thing. I think so. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely I mean, older I, people. There, there are probably like 50 year olds who would think it's silly regardless. Yeah. But I, I think I think probably being subject to the type of promise of a future that you and I were maybe make us more likely to feel a certain way about the genre as opposed to. Hmm. Well, here's, that's the thing I think. So I, I'm, I am not, I, we didn't touch on this earlier, but I think that maybe the way that the conversation has been flowing in the way that you are treating me right now. Am I treating you? Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. What, what I mean is like the way that you are, are, taking what I'm saying yeah. as like some sort of like vaporwave like encyclopedia, I'm not, okay? Oh, I right. don't think you're a vaporwave yeah. encyclopedia. So, I'm so, taking everything as your own but they perception. Might. Well, they might. However, you know, I But I, I'm, I, I just I wanted think, to clear that up. I'm not. I think your opinion should be taken seriously as somebody who's obviously participated in the, in the genre in a significant way, which cannot be said of most people who have opinions on vaporwave. So not a vaporwave uh, encyclopedia, but... 
Right. Well, um, sure. Yeah. I, uh, I, I just, I, I feel like there's, uh, you know, the, the people who, I say a lot of things that contradict what everyone who is involved in Vaporwave is. So I have... As any musical scene with tons of people operating in it. Sure. And they, yeah. they all get on the same plane where, like, people feel like this... Um, uh, you know, vaporwave means this, or or it is a meme, and I'm I've been like outspoken, being like, that's dumb. Like, music shouldn't be a meme, and music. Uh, that's just my opinion. You know, maybe music can be a meme, but it's just like the way that I like music. It's just like everything else is a meme. Like, leave leave my music alone, kids. You know. Well, you know, also, I I think it also opens up a discussion about memes and how we should consume them because I think it's a little, you know, I think it's a little short-sighted and hypocritical, especially for young people who, you know, if, if you think something is less significant or less artistic or less meaningful or less important because it's a meme, here's the thing, like no, how much of, tear me apart. well, how much of internet communication today is based off of memes like it's literally, it's literally the language that we speak online right now. So it's like to sort of deride memes and write them off completely as as something well, that I can't, like, I post you know, memes. Yeah, you well, know. I know you do. Yeah. So it's like you know, obviously, look, I, I think what most people sort of like don't necessarily like about memes or sort of mixing memes with their art and so on and so forth is that memes are usually just kind of perceived as funny. You know, mm-hmm. and sometimes people want to be taken seriously, understandably so. So you know, to sort of like have that barrier to have that barrier sometimes is important because you want to illustrate to the crowd that I'm not trying to be funny right now. I'm not trying to make a meme. Oh, trying sometimes to like, I am yeah. trying to be funny. Oh, I know you are, but, but it's like, and it, even it, it, with my music, mm-hmm. yeah. but just, I don't know. But, I don't but, know but, what but when is. you, but when you are trying to be serious, it is convenient to sort of just communicate to the crowd because it's probably the easiest way that you can do it. Just to say, okay, I'm not making a meme. This is not a meme. Just so that you know it's not a joke. Or I'm not trying to be joking. Well, I don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, the gen- harsh maybe, the maybe the general you. Maybe not the literal you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they, know, it's for, they know it's for real mm-hmm. when the lights turn on. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that, that, they, that they, there's, there's that signifier there for you to let them know that it's serious when the lights, when the lights flick. And there's just something in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so wow. So uh, <laughs> I'm buzzing off the tour, you know. So okay, good. Well, I at think least about, you're buzzing off of something. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, let, let's let's continue with the nostalgia bit then, because sure. I I do think it's an important piece of the pie. So to go back into the nostalgia, but off of the vaporwave thing necessarily. So nostalgia obviously still plays a role in the music that you're making under the George Clanton name. Absolutely. But you're not strictly making vaporwave music obviously there's an influence i don't think that i that i ever well that i have been for a a long time yeah yeah i released we know you have before yeah i released like two short albums in direct response yeah totally derivative from from um uh floral shop specifically i heard that Mm -hmm. and i go wow you know i'm there you know this is cool like you could you could do this with all kinds of music and it would sound awesome. So then I just, you know, farted out some songs really quick anonymously and didn't really realize that anyone would care. And then when they did care, my natural, like I didn't feel a lot of personal connection with that music. So my natural inclination was to try to 
make it without taking from something else. So there's obviously this this evolution here that we're talking about in terms of when you've made Vaporwave, when you weren't making Vaporwave, but that's clearly not the point that you're at now with George Clan, with the latest record. But there's still a nostalgia factor. Yeah. So how, how does that play into your newer music as opposed to how it might play into an in, in older work of yours? Okay. Since, since nostalgia is still there, it still seems to come from the same era of popular culture, but it, does. it manifests in a different way. And it, to me, like, I guess that the, the, I've been calling, and even on this album, I, I tag it Vaporwave. I put as much of that in to like try to entice the, the community, the community, because to come I, to it, because, give it a try, it's, taste it, and see it's what you worked, think. Right? It, absolutely. Because there, there's obviously an aesthetic commonality there that they take to. It's such a well. The thing is, okay, so Vaporwave is not like you know, it's not like Chill Wave. It's not no. like Witch House. It's mm-hmm. it's so much more broad, and it has not died. And yeah, and that's the other point. It hasn't died in the way that those genres. So have. it's malleable. Yeah. And so I say, um, well, now this is Vaporwave. What do you think? Does it? You know, and if it sticks to the wall, then great. Now I'm Vaporwave David Bowie. Copy, <laughs> copy that. So, uh, you know. Dude, wait, I, you, heard, you heard that here first. <laughs> the Vaporwave David Bowie. So I'm trying. George to, Clanton. Right. You know, so I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm comfortable in that position where it's just like, I don't want, I'm, I, I, I know that you can't make music free of influence. And I, I'm not even trying to, obviously. Not at obviously. all. Um, but I'm not trying to make vaporwave or, and, and I feel like that's clear. Yeah. But at the same time, the stuff that people say that's definitely vaporwave is essentially in my book, it's just, it's like George Clanton songs that don't have words. Like I, so I'm just making music the same way. And if I write words for it, and maybe there's something more subconsciously going on the way that I structure that, but for real, it's just the way that I do it. If it's more meandering and just kind of vibey and can't like be performed in the same way live, that's my other project. That's called Esprit. And if it can be, it's George Clanton, and then I sing it and you know put it on that record Mm -hmm. but the process is the same and i basically i run the two concurrently i'm doing both you know i'm making songs for both projects at the same time whichever one hits 10 or 12 songs first wins an interesting thing is you're you just kind of had brought up um uh not trying to make music free from influence like obviously you wear your influences and the sounds that uh were popular during you know this era that, that we were talking about earlier on your sleeve however through your embrace of that very wide array of influences with, yes. with which if you remember back in the day, I mean, you know, we had artists like Beck back then who was not shy about, Hey, let's make an electronic hip hop rock pop mashup, mm. you know, which I mean, th- mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of that lacking right now in the mainstream. Am I, am I like that? Well, what, what I'm trying to say is I think, um, I think through embracing those influences, you've come through with something kind of unique because, you know, it's you. how, how, when before Thank I can't name a time and I lived during that era where, you know, I heard someone doing shoegaze pop electronic alternative dance stuff, you know, like all of those nineties influences are kind of coming together into a very unique recipe. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in a way you kind of creatively illustrate a way that you can 
very boldly take from some very established ideas, but make something completely different in the process. Yeah. I mean, thank you. And oh, you're welcome. I, right. Yes. <laughs> I liked, um, you know, I liked it when you touched on that in the review that made me smile at the time, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> um, it does now. Yeah. I like that. Which I touched down on because I'm old. So, so I remember it. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, what was the question? I think it was more of just Caught a statement, a oh, statement yeah. that you responded. And, and, then, and then I started responding. Yeah, and then you start responding. <laughs> I had something to say, but I got, I got, I got pulled back because I started thinking about when the video went live. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that, but we save that for later because that's a funny story. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the flow of the conversation anymore, but I feel like what I, I, what I want to say was that like, you know, it's, it's, I I think that maybe it's like a lot of artists and you can see, obviously, like you could see it and you critique it. Um, It's kind of an easier path to take to say, I'm really into this. I'm really into Led Zeppelin. I'm not going to say who I'm thinking about, but you know, (laughs) you know, I'm really into something. And let's make an album like this, you know, so I, it takes me a very long time to make music. Like I'm not like, um, prolific people think that I'm prolific, but it's really, if you look at how long it takes for me to do something, I'm just not stopped making music for a long time. So, uh, it takes me a long time to put some music together and, um, I don't like know what I want it to sound like, but I'm just, and I don't have any rules for myself either. So I think that it's just I'm listening to a very broad um, set of music from my past all the time. I haven't let go of that. Like, I still highly value. We were just listening to Seal in the car. Um, oh, my God. Young Aaron off camera says, uh, yes, Seal. Yeah. Young Aaron off camera was like, George, are there five Seal songs that you would say are actually good? Because I can't find any. <laughs> And then so I just started playing, you know, we just were listening and just started playing him some songs. That I, and I, I'm just like, I don't know that you can get into it. It's just something for me. Maybe it's not for everybody. It's, or it's, I think it's also something you had to be there for. Maybe you had, you had to, to be, be there one for of those Seal. You had to be there. Because when I listen to it, I'm like, there's no edge on this. There's just, it's just like, but to me, the songwriting, it's all so beautiful. It just makes me feel great to listen to it. I'm going to mm-hmm. sing along. And so I try to evoke that part of it. Like, mm-hmm. I want this you know, verse, and then when the chorus comes in, I want people to just feel like a well of emotion. Yeah, you're not evoking literally the sound of Seal, but more the vibe that you get off of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the emotion. You know, also something that I find kind of interesting about your your music and your creative process and the influences that you're taking from is that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the sounds that you're pulling from were very based off of rock music, live instrumentation, actual studio time, analog synths, all that stuff. And um, you're, you're literally evoking those same aesthetics and vibes and sounds, but just all through your computer and just like all through a DAW. And it's like, what, what is, what has the struggle been in the process been? Because I, I know sort of like creating that vibe hasn't always been easy for artists who have attempted to do the same thing. Mm. Like what exactly has been your process to arrive to this point where you can just like recreate those sounds and vibes so naturally that somebody would normally attach to like 
a My Bloody Valentine record, but you're just literally doing it on your laptop. Well, it's not it's not um, effortless. Yeah. No, obviously. Maybe not. it sounds natural. <clears throat> yeah. You know, at in the end, it it does sound natural in the end. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, it's the same whether you're sitting there and you're you're toying with the amps and getting them right in the room. I mean, you can do all that kind of virtually and it's just the idea like is it somehow you know better to do it for real in a room with your fingers and change the tubes and your tone and all that when you can really just like get in with the mouse and like mess around with the equalizer <laughs> in one second and that's like yeah. changing the two or maybe even more interesting sonically than doing that. Um, so I, I don't like, uh, I guess it's just kind of like a convenience thing. So it's really not that much of a struggle. Yeah. I think it's the opposite yeah. of a struggle. Um, I think I never really like watched a YouTube tutorial on how to do anything. Mm. And I never, um, had a mentor or someone training me, but I have been dicking around on the computer for a very long time and consistently through the years. And I think that I've, um, I've found my, you know, little tricks that I like. And each time maybe I get, I don't know that I get better, but it's just this new album. You're specifically talking about it. You know, it's different. Um, and it sounds more natural. That was my intention this time. You know, yeah. earlier I was really into, like uh, Heaven 17 and wanted to sound like that. So, like, I was trying to uh, evoke that those kind of feelings that I was getting from taking 80s music seriously for the first time in my early 20s, yeah. you know, which I rejected up until then. Oh, really? And then, you know, now it's like, well, I spent all this time rejecting, you know, this other music that I actually have always loved and I'm kind of coming back around into that or not rejecting it or just thinking that it's like not interesting because it's out of fashion, mm. but maybe it is out of fashion and maybe it isn't interesting, but the ideas and the feelings, there's still so much to be mined there that kind of, I think due to fashion and people getting bored kind of, there's no room for, for like, um, when you come back again, we can come be make more. There's no room for that on the radio. Yeah. Right now. Not now, yeah. And uh, that's fine. I don't need to be on the radio. But what I mean is, yeah. So, but there's like, you know, those, there's a, that song hasn't been made yet. So there's a lot more songs that can be made that are outside of what is cool right now. And that, I think that comes back around again to like making, doing the DIY thing and, and making your your own record label and all of this stuff to where it's just like, well, if nobody wants it, if nobody's doing it, let's just take a few years and not give up and see if we can't find our own group of people who have given up that there's going to be something like this for them. Hmm. And then they find it and we everywhere that we go, it's just like, this is, I've been searching for this type of music like my whole life. Like I've just when I heard your music for the first time, like I wanted, this is what I've been looking for, you know, and that's what makes me feel the best because that's what I'm trying to do. I want more music kind of in the, in this vein. So I'm just making it. Yeah. And then if I find someone online that's doing it, we'll 
you know, we put their record out and try to put them on tour. So, you know, with you doing the the DIY thing, um, you know, one thing that people don't necessarily appreciate about it that we were talking about earlier is just how demanding it is and how involved it is. And it does, you know, it does require a lot of effort uh, to sort of just have control over everything and, you know, just um, uh, sort of have your hand in the creativity of, of all of this stuff. Where does that sort of put George Clanton and your future output in terms of priority, you know, mm-hmm. going forward? Because obviously this last record has been a really positive in terms of the reception. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's given you uh, the ability to tour as, as prolifically as you have been. Um, you know, where where are you right now in terms of writing and producing and creating for the next record? You were talking about earlier how it does take you a long time to come out yeah. with a record. Um you know, when do you feel like you'll be sort of like putting out that next LP? Where's the priority with that at the moment? The priority is I'm it's a difficult it's not just work life balance. It's like work life creativity balance. Yep. And so I have more time to work on music now than I had in the past because now my Creativity is paying it for everything. Sure, um, but that me- it also means that there's more work to be done on a daily basis. So that's where L- young Aaron comes in. You know, he now handles all of the shipping. Mm. So uh, that's one thing off of my back. Um, I've taken an agent for the first time recently. I'm happy with him. That's another thing off of my back. So that, you know, he handles all of that. Nightmare. Mm. <laughs> we were just, you know, we were just on tour, and like, there's a lot of way that the the lights work and the sound should because be. it it is an audiovisual experience from the clips everyone has seen. Yeah, for for us, that is, I feel like one of the reasons why our shows are so, you know, I think that we have a disproportionate amount of ticket sales compared to how many people are listening to the music like we have sold out gigs big like big venues that artists who are clearly much bigger you know are playing we're on like the same level of ticket sales but um we're you know we're putting on like a really good show that and i take that very seriously that makes my hair fall out you know that makes me not have fun up until the point of performing (laughs) that Mm -hmm. makes me you know, it's it's a lot of work. I want someone to take over that, but I don't know that that's ever possible. Yeah. So touring, inevitably, there's no room for even calling my mom, like when we're on tour. I'm driving, I'm setting up, you get to the venue at 3, 2, set up, you perform, you leave at 2, 3. You know, and you're there the whole time. You're selling merch before the gig, you're selling it after, you're doing all the changeovers. It's absolutely unbelievably insane you Mm -hmm. get rewarded for it yeah but it's nuts um so if i want to work on the album i have to say no to all of the offers to open for like a band who would be great for my career is opening up for a big band as big a deal as it used to be is that important is that as important or more important than putting out another record i I think during the i think during the internet age the the next record is is what ends up growing your following. The next following. record it's is not, the most important thing. The next record is the most important thing in terms of income. It's also the most important thing in terms of 
spreading your audience, not if necessarily if it's good. Yeah, if well, if it's good, it's got to be a good record to to spread the audience. But if it, right. it's is that as good as a good performance in front of a, a bigger band? You know, that's headlining ahead of you. Not I don't I don't know if that's necessarily the case. And it's in, not in like twenty nineteen. You know, um, playing stadiums or anything. Yeah, yeah. they're not. They're yeah. they, you know they're just at but the still, next even level. even if it was a stadium thing. Yeah, because then that, I, that I, is, I would say yeah, because I think that one of the things that people don't really know about me is that the shows are different than you would mm-hmm. expect. Yeah, they're they're. I think that it's my strongest, stronger than the music itself is is the performance the sh- mm-hmm. the show i think is like the ultimate way to experience it and i um i think that people come away from the show with a little bit of a different idea the idea that i want them to have so priority with the next album is you know you're kind of offloading responsibilities of some of this diy shit technically not doing it yourself anymore by hiring people that's right know, i mind mind you yes um <laughs> so you have more time to you know, I imagine after the tour, get back to just sort of writing and recording, I guess. Right. So I've got another tour that's just about to start in a couple of days. And yep. it's going to be grueling. But, um, and as far as the new material and, and this new record, has the success of, of your latest album, because you've had other projects and other kind of musical directions in the past, has, has the success of this new album, it, will it be influencing you to stick to a certain project or sound or idea this time around or are you planning no, on just, just like... going to make me fucking nervous <laughs> yeah I, I no yeah. so i've been doing it long enough to know that when i try to do something i fail so mm. i don't go into it with an idea mm. i it just makes me loop the same music over and stare at the computer screen for months at a time like if i'm trying to do something it just doesn't happen the second i stop trying it's interesting that you say that because, I mean, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not the most clearly delineated concept album ever created. But, I mean, there, there is kind of a concept or a, or a linear theme to the, the record that you've just put out. You know, I, I find it interesting that you didn't necessarily go into it with an idea, and yet it came out kind of, you know, delivering a linear idea as opposed to, as a you know... Because it, it did read, at least to me, as kind of like the progression of a relationship. That's very interesting. I mean, is it not? You know, correct me. You know, inform me. I don't think me. so. No? But I don't like to correct people yeah. um, to come back to my Lord and Savior seal. Hmm. You know, uh, Who never corrected anyone on anything he had ever done. Oh. I mean that that was one of his that's what he was most well known for. <laughs> well, in his second in his second album in the liner notes it says like I don't print my lyrics because I don't want I want people to uh hear it the way that that they, they want to hear it and relate to it. And yeah. I was very young when I read that and I thought about it ever since and I still think it's about it. It's a pretty that. poignant idea to be exposed to at such a young age. Yeah. And I think that um because I bought it, you know, I bought it for Kiss from a Rose, and I don't know. Yeah. So Seal was actually like, I mean, I think that that album, have you ever heard it? I've heard the hits off of it, because I yeah. remember them on the radio all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't Cry and Kiss from a Rose. Um, but, like, I didn't have many albums. You know, you had to pay for them back then. And uh, when you're a kid, you don't have a job. Yeah. So I had to beg for them. 
And I got a, I had a very few that I could get per year, so I just played them out. After I listened to Kiss from a Rose on loop like 10 times, I finally go, well, let's listen to the other ones. Most of my albums were bad. Spin Doctors. But the, Hell yeah, I had that Spin Doctors tape too. <laughs> right. But 311 I thought was excellent. I had 311 too. Yeah. Name another one. Well, Seal, uh, Fat of the Land was another one that blew me away. I came, I came into Fat of the Land later. I didn't have it as a kid. Yeah. Um, those were the three that really, and I feel like I still call them out as shaping my whole life, those three albums. Mm-hmm. Um, Bush, I didn't like like 16 Stone all the way through. I had 16 Stone, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was a hit or miss. I wish, oh, in hindsight, there was a, there was a, there was a specific point in my life where I was, it was in between the Spice Girls album, which was terrible. And I ended up getting that one or third eye blind. My mom said, put one back, son. And then I put back third eye blind coming back around again. That third eye blind. That third eye blind debut album is great. It reads like a greatest hits. It's incredible. Every single song. It's front to back solid. I know the hook to every song. It's that good. It's so incredible. It is good. And when I read the reviews on like all music by that guy who called you uh, Prague, Dark Prague, then he's like, <laughs> they say, uh, you know, um, this is kind of like a run of the mill, me- mediocre album, but uh, like post grunge, like soulless or whatever. Like, I, I disagree completely. I really I, relate I to too. it. I relate to his story. I heard that Semi Charm Life didn't hit until he was 35 and he was like, been making music his whole and life. also as far as pop rock on the radio goes uh-huh. graduate was hard as fuck. dude graduate's I a hard fucking never song. heard that on the radio where i was from i love yeah. that song now we played it on the radio and you hear that outside that's why we played it on the radio because it's hard out here yeah we needed that on the radio the no we we, we, did, we played that on the radio quite a bit college my friends in northern virginia said that they they that third eye blind was like a big band and i was like we had an alternative uh, out of eden north carolina called 94 five 94 five um something and uh they only played semi charm life and jumper can what, i give what, you a gift on camera uh, sure Sure. You what, have to act you, like you like it. What are you giving Are you going to edit it out? You've already given me a gift of, you gave me your I, record. Actually, I've got another one in the car. And what, I've what, got another so copy many, of your record? No, 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 like, uh, another gift. Oh, okay. Well, if you have a gift here, you could give me a gift on camera. I will not edit it out. Yeah, I promised that I would give you... Um, Is it a gun? No. Okay. So I've got two gifts. I've got surfing. We just went on tour with surfing. They're oh, from okay. Australia. I'm going to give you the surfing gift. The surfing gift. Okay. Looks better on the back, maybe. Yeah, show them the back. There's yeah, the back. There's beautiful. the front. Here's the surfing gift. You're going to love it. Okay. I'll give it a I'm shot. i give you my worst-selling T-shirt. and see. What give you the worst-selling T-shirt? It's the George Clanton. Let's show it to you. The George Clanton <laughs> death metal T-shirt. <laughs> I love that. Whenever, I love it, too. I think it's so much fun. Well, whenever I've ever tried to do a piece of, like, thrash or death metal-inspired merch, it sells the worst. I don't think that people can understand how to like out of this people people do, people do not appreciate the aesthetic they don't appreciate the aesthetic of it at all like i i think i think i think metalhead aesthetic is so uh-huh. fucking underrated and i think that so many kids just like don't really appreciate it ironically ironically right myself. now so ironically right now there are a lot of rappers that appreciate it more than you know yeah. The white suburban internet kids do because I see all these rappers out here with death metal shirts and 
you know, like gory fucking logos and that sort of thing. Like, obviously, they see the artistry in it, but these internet kids that listen I've got to get them yeah. on my side instead of the white suburban. Yeah. Oh, well, in addition to all fans are important, of equal value to it's me. true. It is true. Like, you know, it's like what you see bands and they're like, oh, these fans suck or something like that. And it's just like, well, what room are you going to like? Who do you want to be in the audience? Just like a yeah. bunch of like dudes in like leather jackets, like being like, yeah, you know, I know this. Or like who? I can't think of one room in the world where everyone in it is cool other than this one. I Yeah, and that's because there's almost nobody in this room right <laughs> That's now. right. But, yeah, I mean, it, it is funny. I've made that same point myself, and, and I feel like I can only make this point with more accuracy than most can because I literally deal with multiple fan bases of multiple artists and multiple things on the Internet all the time yeah. and in person too. Yes. And, You're an expert. And I have, I, I would say in... I would say I'm an expert only in the way that one can be without having done any research on the topic whatsoever and just through personal experience. Yeah. And my personal experience is that all fan bases are annoying. <laughs> all of them. There's not a single fan base that I've ever run into that is not annoying. Well, people are annoying. In some kind of... Yeah. <laughs> it's because people are annoying. Yeah, you and you, you get enough of them in a room, something... Bad happens. If you get enough of them in a room and they have a, an almost blind love for a particular thing and that thing that they love can do no wrong, yeah, yeah, it's bound to get fucking annoying. It's going to get real annoying in there. <laughs> but I'm actually really comfortable in that environment, so I say I appreciate yeah. them all. If everybody in a one room is celebrating me, yeah. Wow. Well, why wouldn't you be comfortable in that environment? Exactly. Yes, I can yeah, do anything. That's, that's the environment you operate the best in. Mm-hmm. God bless him. God bless him. Bless him. All right. I, I think we can end it here, man. All right. Unless you have anything else profound to say. Man, I've got, we didn't touch on anything that I thought that we would. I feel like we've had such a, a, a <laughs> like a conversation that's much greater than, 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 I feel like we've talked about some pretty, some pretty highfalutin topics. Yeah. You know, we, we, we didn't talk about the music a lot. <laughs> no. But I, I think we did approach some important topics. You know, the music speaks for its what can you talk about the music? The music speaks for itself, but also in a really uh round in roundabout way. I think all the stuff that we talked about does impact the music. It in absolutely a huge way. does. I feel like my music is like the reason I started going by my own name, it's like so much of the person it's like all everything that makes me me yeah. is the music now. And it's just inseparable. So it's just like to talk about the albums that I had when I was a kid, those experiences, um, discovering Third Eye Blind late, you know, like all <laughs> of that, like that's the concoction that it, it ends in this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the interesting thing about your music is that uh, I, I think it's very much a reflection of what happens every decade and that's that there is kind of this critical reevaluation of everything culturally that went on 20 years ago mm. and then you just kind of like go back canon exactly and you go back over it and you find out what actually of that era outside of the stuff that was obviously good and obviously popular at the time what about all of it had real artistic merit to it that withstands the test of time because once you're once you've gone 20 years down the road that's a totally new context and if something that you've done is genuinely good in such a way 
where it wasn't totally dependent on the time frame that it happened in. You had to be there. You know what I mean? A lot of a lot of popular art is based on you had to be there. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah. And, you know, you have the opportunity to go back and, and listen to stuff like, oh, well, you know, this Third Eye Blind record is great. You actually didn't have to be there because still today it sounds yeah, like... Yeah, because really I wasn't there. Part. Yeah. You know, I didn't you have were. it. And, and, there, and there are some artists and, like I said, you know, Fat of the Land is, an, is another thing. I came into that much later. I did not really, you know, listen to anything outside God, of the popular songs on the radio. So incredible. It's, it's incredible. You know, but, uh, but again, that wasn't really something I sort of had an intimate experience with outside of what was on the radio. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there are some other things that from that era, too, that, that have, uh, you know, been the same for me. But, um, you know, I'm sort of waiting for a time where we're going to totally reevaluate new metal. I think we're almost getting there. Oh my! You know, I, we're, we're so been close. Biting my tongue on this because you're on one, and I didn't want to interrupt. But I just wanted to like look into the camera when you were talking about all that say, stuff and say corn. You know, like new metal. And I've recently moved to Los Angeles, and uh-huh. I've got like a bunch of That's where a lot of that sh- came from. Friends, California, who are fashionable. You know, like um, and like new metal is the new like dope vibe. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even kidding. Raver pants, wallet chains, baggy shirts, eyebrow rings, and my um. So we're doing a 100%. You, you've got the minimal wallet. We've got the 100% uh, electronical wallet chain coming. Okay. And uh, obviously, on the <laughs> if you have you seen the back of slide, you know what I'm saying. Like I'm on that. Sh- will you already. also be dropping Jinkos? Will you be dropping some lava lamps and blacklight posters? I hadn't considered it. Bring back the blacklight poster, please. In 2019, okay, bring back you know the what blacklight poster. That's probably has a cheaper entry level than um, lava lamp manufacturing. It does, but who's doing blacklight posters right now? Nobody. I don't know. I never had one. I wasn't um, like really allowed to to decorate. publicly listen to publicly. new metal, but Got we had it. some secret corn and some secret Limp biscuit. Um, that was the extent of it. Like what they were playing on TRL is what I ended up. Mm-hmm. getting into mm-hmm. but i've I've recently gone back on corn and um love it corn actually uh you know the um the the second make it forever uh-huh. that meanders quite a bit longer mm. um that's that one brings down the house man that's that's <laughs> the one that brings down and the house but so at the end there's bagpipes in it okay that's corn what is a sample? No, I mean that's corn. Oh yeah, influence. Jonathan Davis plays played yeah. the bagpipes. Quite so a bit. I was listening to that and I was like, man, I want to end this album with the bagpipes. <laughs> I didn't wow. like the ending, so I wrote the new ending. You yeah. know, after that, um, and my new song, we're doing like an Esprit set in this new tour. Mm-hmm. Freak on a leash is how we like a remix of vape. I swear to God. I'll play it for you off camera. A vaporwave <laughs> remix of Freak on a Leash. Okay. It's so epic. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And everyone is just like, they're ready for it. Yeah. They're, they're just ready for it. That's yeah. all. I mean, you know, you got to give it to the 90s. Pop music was pretty diverse at the time. You know, you did have this huge burgeoning. It was epically diverse. It was what epically incredible, diverse. You had how this many huge, artists were coming original back then? So amazing. You had not only the grunge movement, yeah. but you also had hip-hop putting out its biggest singles at the time. Yes. You also had these huge electronica artists coming out at the time. Yeah. Dance pop was... That was pop music. That was pop music. Dance music was pop music. Dance dance music was pop well, music, but also pop music but also now. dance pop was kind of being revolutionized at the time as well. Yeah. And then on top of it, you also had artists like, 
you know, Cake and Beastie Boys and Beck and, you know, the, the line, it all goes the down genre, the line um, of all the genre shifters. So, so there wasn't really, you couldn't really ignore a single genre. You know what I mean? You were being exposed to it in some way, shape or form. Yeah. You know? So TRL, you, you've got Corn and Backstreet Boys back competing to back, back to back for the for top the ten one. spot. I remember that, and I it just seemed so natural at that time. Yeah, it did. It was awesome. It did, and it was. I mean, it was lame. Old yeah, shit. It, was, old it was. Bullshit. It was also lame as fuck. Yeah, but you know, yeah. <laughs> It was uh, it was fun at the time, you know. But the thing is, I I I feel like the, you don't you don't get to the point where we at now where we're at now where there's this total evaporation of these cultural barriers between different genres and different sounds. I feel like you don't get to that point now without what had happened then. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for bringing this internet experience IRL yeah. in the space over here. Well, thank you for allowing me to do so. I thought it would be more fun if it was real life. Yeah, I think it's been more fun in real life. I didn't know where you lived. Yeah. But I said, I'll just fly to wherever you are. And <laughs> let's do it because I'm sure whoever watches this, you know, it'll, I'll sell enough T-shirts to cover a plane Enough ticket. death metal T-shirts. That's right. Yeah. So it's just like, let's just do it. You know? So hit up the death metal T-shirt. We'll drop all the information to George Clanton's stuff down in the description box. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, check out his latest record, watch my review, and shout out once again to Max650 for having us down and uh, allowing us to do this interview and being so generous with their space. We will uh, link you again to all of their stuff in the description box too. And uh, yeah, this has been great. There's a lot of stuff to check out. There's a lot of stuff to check, check out. Check out all the old records too and then everything else that uh, is on the label and everything that I've ever, ever talked about. And everything, all that out too. everything that he will do <laughs> from now on into the future. Uh, regardless of my feelings on it. So this is a permanent <laughs> yeah. endorsement of everything Come that George does. Come back and watch does. this video. Come back and watch this video another time, even though that puts no money in your in pocket. Dark it, future. It, yeah, it'll, it'll, yeah. <laughs> it helps out me. Um, I, this, is a this is just a blanket endorsement of everything that George does into the future, regardless of how I feel about it. Yeah, exactly. the present me endorses it. Future me may have a different opinion, yeah. but present me, if, and this is probably the best I'll, I'm ever going to get at this point. This is my peak. After this, I'm falling down. Don't take anything after I say uh, this seriously. Um, this, is a pot, this is a blanket endorsement of, of everything that he does past this point. So there we go. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to cut that up and make it say whatever I want it to say. I'm going to cut out the part where you said that you're the vaporwave David Bowie and, uh, and, and make that say whatever I want it to say. Deal? All right. Okay, cool. I'm the vaporwave. Corn. <laughs> Forever. And that's going to be it for this episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. Thank all of you for listening. Shout out to Jonah for assembling this episode and every episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. You can find us on social media at twitter.com slash the needle drop. Also, AFantano on Instagram, youtube.com slash the needle drop, youtube.com slash Fantano. Don't miss a single piece of content. That and everything else we post will be also on the needledrop.com. And we will catch you guys in the next episode. Make sure wherever you are listening to this, you are subscribing, you're rating, you're reviewing, you're leaving positive commentary, helping us out and spreading the word. And uh, we will see you guys in the next one. Anthony Fantano, The Needle Drop Podcast, forever. Mm -hmm.